Well, I'm excited to be here this morning um, as we gather. If you walked in the lobby this morning, you realize that we had some tables and different things going on. Uh, we did this, we've done this a couple times, I think, once or twice. I don't remember. I look back there to see Fatima once. Okay, this is our second time. <laughs> and, uh, and this is an opportunity where, where we're asking folks to look and find a place within the body. Now, this morning I was watching as people were coming in, we were trying to help people find chairs, and there's a few up here on the front. And I started thinking about us as a family. That's what we are. And in fact, what we're going to have to start doing is we're going to either add some chairs or start having to scooch in and just remember that we're, we're, uh, we're family together, right? And share with one another. Well, one of the things we do as a family is we learn to serve one another. And we serve our Lord. Uh, as a family of, uh, as God's people and a family that serves Him, we always want to glorify Him and keep Him at the forefront. And so there's an opportunity out there. You can go out there and you can find opportunities in student ministry. You can find opportunities in, uh, in missions. I know our, our poemia is set up out there our, where we're dealing with human sex trafficking in this, in this area as well. Uh, we also have opportunities in regards to our greeters and our children's ministry. There's, there's awanas. There's opportunities throughout in regards to what you can do and be part of the body of Christ. So I exhort you and I encourage you to do that. This morning, I know last, you know, last couple of weeks, I've made a big deal about Bible study methods and talked to, talked to Steve back there this morning just about how much and how big of a deal that was. I think there were 52 that was in the class this morning and uh, excited about that. That's 52 people. That's 50 people who are honing their skills in, how, in, how, in, in order to know how to handle the Word of God. And boy, dear people of God, we live in a day when if we're going to follow after Jesus, which is our mission here at Mansfield Bible Church, is to learn to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn how to handle the Word of God. Bible study methods is important. We also start this week with our Mansfield Bible Church Institute on Wednesday night, seven, right? Yeah, at seven o'clock, and then we have our Old Testament, New Testament, and then there's going to be church history over this next semester, I'd encourage you, you can go to the Central Hub or you can go onto our webpage and look for how you can get involved in those. We need to be people that are about the Word of God. Um, I've seen too many people live life according to themselves, and I've, I just have found in my life uh, the Word of truth, the Word of God, uh, gives peace and joy, uh, the comfort when I understand the power of God's grace, uh, the power of God's working in my life. Um, and the joy that I seek after him. I don't have that because I stand here and preach today or because I'm on staff at this church. I have that because of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God that dwells within me, just as each one of you. Let us never, never look to one another as someone's more elite than another. Let us all understand that the Word of God and the work of God is able to be done through each and every one of us. So this is an opportunity today to find your place. And if you haven't had a place to serve, I'd encourage you to go out and at least talk, at least find out about it. Um, let's, let's ask the Lord in prayer just to teach us today. Father, we come to you. And Father, I come to you and I ask quickly, Father, this that you would move among us. That your spirit would speak, Father, in our hearts. And that, Father, you would instruct us in the ways of of your truth, of the, of the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. 
As we've been looking at Malachi, Father, I have found it very sobering in my own life. And even in the responses I've heard from others, that it has been true that you've been speaking to us, God. And we ask, Father, that you would continue. Father, not that, not that we would ever um, be a people that, Father, wander about in darkness, but, Father, we would be a people that wander and walk in the truth and the light of your word. And appropriating those things in our lives that are your ways, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, to begin to understand these truths and what they look like and how they apply to our hearts and to our lives, Father. So, Father, we ask you this morning to teach us, to instruct us, and to give us wisdom. And then go, Father, pass all of my inabilities and shortcomings, my own sins, that you might instruct us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're starting Malachi chapter 2, and right off the bat, I have a list up here. It's qualifications of elders uh, in the New Testament. It's not a complete list. There's a couple of things I realized that got left off, but nevertheless, it kind of gives you an idea. So when you look at them, you know, there's things there above reproach, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, a lover of God, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined, hold firm to, trustworthy, to the trustworthy word, able to give sound instruction, rebuke those who contradict the word, those are important things. You might look at that and you go, wow, I'm sure glad I'm not an elder, right? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, all of us elders, when we look at that, uh, if, if we're honest and humble before our God, we, we say, Lord, how do you ever use us? You know? But yet at the same time, one of the most important aspects of your spiritual growth is sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God in your life, bringing you to a place where you're more and more like Jesus where righteousness begins to, to rule in your life. And so really, when you look at this, you begin to look at it and you go, well, this may be the Holy Spirit in you is looking at it and saying, hey, yeah, this is for the qualification of elders in a church, in the New Testament church, but really this is God's desire for each and every one of us. I remember, uh, in fact, I learned it from Greg Buckles when I came here and started doing uh, Bible studies with men and I uh, used the measure of man, which what it was, was just taking each one of these, and it was a couple of pages, and we discussed it. It was profound impact on our lives to walk through that and to look at it, because every follower of Jesus, if the Spirit of God is within you, the desire is that you would be more and more like Christ. And it's one of the most important things that you can do in your Christian walk, and to focus on that. So why do I bring this up? Because when we're walking into Micah chapter 2 today, we're walking into a section where by God's word is very specific and directed to the priest of that day. Now, I know we read the scripture this morning and Terry, I guess we probably gave you the wrong passage because we're really in chapter uh, two, verses one through nine this morning. So, so if you read that this morning, you heard it and you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty tough. Now you know to miss next week, right? Is that what it is? Because <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. When she was reading, I was like, oh, now, man, nobody's going to come next week. Because <laughs> next week it starts talking about marriage. Oh, joy. Uh, of all the things in, in life that, that we have to face. But we need to learn. We need to be a people that are learning. So today when we're looking at it, we're looking at the leaders that God is referring to. It's a direct word of God to them. But it's also a word of God to all 
who desire to give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a word to all of us. And when we take a look at it, there's going to be some of this going back from the old covenant to the new covenant and understanding that. But I also want us to understand when we talk about the priests in the Old Testament, we also understand, need to understand some theological truths that we understand from the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And I grew up in well, actually, when I came to Christ, I was in a Southern Baptist church, and that was something that I heard quite a bit, that, hey, I don't go through a priest anymore. I don't go through anybody else. I go through Jesus Christ. He's my mediator. He's the one by which I have full access to the, to the relationship that God has given through his son, Jesus Christ. We're a royal priesthood, so these things, these things matter. A holy nation and sometimes I know you guys hear me use this term, people of God. Well, this is one of the verses I get that from because it says a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, lives, mar marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? Well, come on, people. God's people, that's right. We need to understand we are the people of God. We belong to him. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. A royal priesthood. I love this phrase, a people for his own possession. If you have the King James Version this morning, it says peculiar. Peculiar. When I was in, uh, when I first came to Christ and was were getting excited and really seeking God, I read that and I went to my, actually, it was my college director at the time. And I was like, peculiar, what does that mean? And he, he explained to me, it literally means God's own possession. I'm like, oh, wow, someday I want to start a peculiar church. <laughs> I think it'll work, don't you? The peculiar church. I think people would just come to see what it is, you know? <laughs> We're just a bunch of peculiar people. We are people who belong to God. So when we talk about this passage and when we look at the context in Malachi and the old covenant and we pull it forward to today, we're understanding that he, in the context, he's dealing with the spiritual leaders, but the application can be for all leaders. And there's an application for those in the spirit, in the royal priesthood. So today in this title, in this section, I'm calling it a command to the priest. And as we read this, as I said, we're going to see that this is really directed, God's really directing at the heart of the of the priest of his day. Let me, let me read, if you will, in verses two, uh, chapter two, verses one through three. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dun on your faces. The dun of your offerings you shall be taken away with. Now, it's some pretty straightforward language there, isn't it? And some of you are sitting there. In fact, I know somebody had read ahead and they're like, man, I can't wait till I hear you deal with that one, Greg. Like, oh, we'll have fun. We'll get there. But when we look at this passage, at the very heart of it, God is dealing with the heart of his leaders, the heart of his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, you've heard it before, at the very heart of what God desires from his people is their heart. 
It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You think word of God is important to be on our heart, that we should be learning it, we should be growing in truth? Absolutely. Because when the Lord has our hearts, he has everything. The heart is everything. In fact, first point, really, when I'm looking at these verses in one through three, authentic ministry always comes down to the heart. There's a lot of people that are more skilled. There's a lot of people that are going to be more talented. There's going to be a lot of people that are better looking. All those kinds of things that we're always going to say, well, if only I had that. And when God looks at us, he looks at the heart. And this is where when we take and we look at Malachi chapter 2 and we apply it to this context, we apply it to the elders at Mansfield Bible Church. But we can also apply it to our worship leaders, to our ministry leaders, to our small group leaders, to our moms and dads in our homes. It's how we lead. It's how God uses us because authentic ministry and service always comes down to the heart. I want you to notice two things in verse 2. And there's two comments he makes about the heart. First in verse two, he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart. Now notice that there's a condition there. If you won't listen, if you won't hear God's truth. And we live in a day where people need to listen to God's truth. And he says, if you don't hear, if you will not take it to heart, there's a condition, there's a caution. If you don't listen and take it deep within your soul, there's gonna be a problem because the Lord wants your heart. There's consequences when we ignore the truth of God's word, when we ignore him. Why does God want our hearts so bad? In Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Why does God want your heart? Because that's where life comes from. That's where life comes from. God wants your heart because he wants to flow his blessings through your life. He wants to use it. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, it says, it says this. Luke chapter 6, 46, it says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Where does it come from? His heart. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You think it's important that God would have our hearts? You ask yourself, ask yourself, do I listen to God? Do I take this truth to, his, to heart as a follower of Christ? What kind of produce am I producing in my life? What is it that is coming forth? Because when God has our hearts, he uses our words and our actions of our lives to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and to glorify him. God wants your heart. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven. I always love this one. This is where Samuel is going to, God's telling him to go and he's gonna pick out these, this next king and the, David's not even there, it's King David. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. I think we should just take that phrase and post it in our homes. For the Lord sees not as man sees. You know, we need to remember that. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. On the heart. Because when God has your, life, your heart, he can do great things in your life. It's when you begin to experience the blessings. I'm not saying ease. I'll never say that the blessed life is an ease life or the blessed life is a wealthy life, or the blessed life is that you have everything life, or the blessed life is the most perfect job in the world. No, No, the blessed life is knowing the God Almighty who sent his son into our world and was calling us to himself. And by faith, we responded and received his goodness in our lives. There's the blessed life. Look what he says there in, last, or in verse two again. He goes on, he says, to give, heart, give honor to my name, says the Lord. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. I have already cursed them because, why? You do not lay it to heart. The condition of our heart is important. And what he's, what he's telling them in the context of, of Malachi's day is they did not listen They did not listen and take to heart the things of God. And as a result of it, it brought cursing into their life. Their hearts were not engaged. They failed to give honor and glory to God. And therefore, there was consequences. And it's so true to us. It is so true that if I begin to, and we're going to look at it later, that if I begin to sow into my life the Spirit, what do I produce? life. But if I begin to pour into my life that which is flesh, what do I produce? Corruption. It's a focus in our relationship. In fact, the Hebrew often used the term heart to refer to one's inner self, inclination, disposition, or determination, intention, reason, courage, will. It was literally the, the seat that guided their life, their thoughts, and their emotions, and their direction, and their, and, their, and their choices. In the Western culture, a lot of times when we use the word heart, we use it in an emotional sense. We say, oh, it broke my heart. Oh, they won my heart. Is your heart happy? Follow your heart. And a lot of times when we say that, we don't, we're saying it like, okay, well, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Set the reason aside but just follow your heart. And to understand the heart in a biblical reference, it is the seat of our being, our mind, our affections, and our choices. It is the way we think. It's the way that we feel, our choices and direction in life. So so think about this. Think about why God cares about the heart so much. Because when God has the heart of the spiritual leader, he has their thoughts. God's word going through their thoughts. He has their affections, loving the Lord, pouring out praise and worship and adoration. When he has their will, God guides them and steers them and directs them in the path of righteousness. Why is it so important that God has our hearts? Because when he has our hearts, he has us. He has all of you. Life begins to come into focus and the reasonings and then the blessings of God, you begin to see them abundantly. Notice what he says also too in 
verse, verse two there. He says in the first part of it, he says, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name. Now, if you were here last week, you're going, oh, there it is. There it is again. When remember last week, our question was, where is my honor? God was asking, where is my honor? And they said, to honor my name. Why is that so important? Because God works in and blesses those who seek to honor his name through their lives. That's the bottom line. God works and blesses those who incorporate into their life Christ and the honor of his name. It's especially true in leadership. If you find a leadership that is not honoring the name of Christ, then move on or get new leadership. I hate to say it like that. I stand here as much as anybody. This passage is as convicting as any I've read. And who are we? Who are we that we would somehow stand up to an almighty God from everlasting to everlasting and somehow think that we are able to oppose him? We have to humble ourselves. In verse three, it says, look what he does kind of there when he says done on their faces. That's the one everyone's always asked me about when they've read it ahead. When you look at this passage in verse three and he talks about done, He's talking about in their sacrifices, their entrails, their, the waste from the sacrifice. And when they had this waste after they had done their sacrifices, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. Look, can we just say praise Jesus? Because I mean, you know, we just don't have to do all that anymore because of him, because of what he did. But they take all that stuff and then they carry it outside the camp and they would put it in a hole and they would burn it and bury it. And that's what they did with the, that's what it's referring to, the done. And so when he's saying that he's going to rub it on their faces, you have to understand the transition from chapter two or chapter one into chapter two. Remember what was going on in chapter one. What were they bringing? What kind of sacrifices? They were bringing lame sacrifices. They were bringing blind sacrifices. They were bringing sick sacrifices. They were bringing sacrifices that didn't cost them anything. They were bringing the worst when God deserved the best. And so what God is saying here and what he's referring to is he's talking about the, taking the worst of their sacrifices, taking the worst of what they had done, all these entrails and, and this waste, and putting it on their faces. Because in picture, that's what they just did to him, didn't they? When we give God our worst and we think, oh, that God's gonna be good, and at the same time, we expect God to bless and do all these things, but we just keep giving him the worst? Well, wait a second. But if God were to do that to us, and we talk about duns in our faces, wait, like, hey, how can God do that? Why? Well, God's giving him a picture here. He's giving him a picture. What is the difference? If I take the worst of your sacrifice and gave it to you, In fact, the reality is, is when they wipe the, if you were to wipe the dun on their faces, they immediately would be unclean and they would have to leave the temple area. Look what he says in the last part of verse three. The dun of your offerings and you shall be taken away with it. You shall be taken away with it. If God doesn't have your heart, you are doing things your own way, 
your own glory, your own ambition. God really he doesn't matter. You kind of want to keep him happy so that you can, you can uh, have his blessings and the goodness. And, but at the same time, as long as he doesn't kind of move into your lifestyle and your ways, you really don't care. Now there's a picture of the, of the priest being removed from the temple. And I think, how many times do we hear about churches? I remember when I went to serve in northern North America or northeastern part of America up in Upper Maine. And I would see these buildings, old buildings abandoned. And you know what they were? They were churches. And what happens? What happens when God's people don't guard their heart, aren't vigilant about their heart towards God. What happens? They become distant. Like I said last week, if we're casual towards God, sooner or later, God's not going to be there anymore. So when I look at it, when I look at this chapter and I look at this, this, these passages and I'm asking myself, like, how do I apply these truths from the old covenant into the new covenant? And I want us to be clear. I want to be absolutely clear that we are saved by grace and we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. That's why I wanted to read that verse up front. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's own people. We are a peculiar people. We belong to him. Nothing will remove our, us from our standing with Christ because of his work and what he has done, forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, always a child of God. We understand that what this, is take pla- this took place because of what Christ has done for us and that we are his. Amen? Man, that's a good day, isn't it? But yet when I look over, there is some truths that we need to understand about how we work in our lives. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 in the New Testament reference, it says, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I want you to understand something here. You're not fooling God. You may, come, you may walk in and put on a form of holiness and righteousness, but you're not fooling God. That's why the heart is so important. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Dear people of God, there is a, there is a truth here. What you, what you sow is what you're going to reap, what you're going to get back. And if your focus is, is this world and these things and everything around, if the, your focus is the flesh, you're not going to reap spirit. You're not going to reap life. But when you begin to pursue God with all of your heart, and you begin to understand the realities of the truth of what he has done through his word. He's explained those things to us. And you begin to incorporate them into your life. How much greater is that? How important it is that God have our hearts. No wonder in Malachi, from the beginning of this book, we see people, God's people drifting away from, moving away from God, growing less 
and less interested and more and more casual in their worship. And it's so true. If we start drifting away, if we start becoming casual, then we too, we too will grow distant from him. Authentic ministry always comes down to the heart. Authentic, an authentic heart will always be blessed. I love the fact that here in verses four and the following, that God made a covenant with Levi. It's the Levitical priesthood. And God wants to continue this. So what he's doing is he's, he's describing this to the priests because he wants them to get their hearts right. He wants to bless them the same way he blessed Levi and the Levitical priesthood. He wants to bless them if they would only bring in their hearts. Bring it to him. Look at verse four. It says, so shall you know that I've set this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse five, he says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It is a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. So he begins to give us in verse five some of the details of this covenant. He gave them life and peace. A person who sows into their life, the spirit, will reap life. They will reap peace that only God can give. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and they may have it what? More abundantly. Boy, we're getting weaker out there, folks. Hang in there. I hope you brought your sack lunch. Just pull it out and get some energy. We need to hear this. All right, John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts, there it is, be troubled, neither, be, neither let them be afraid. God gives peace. Life and peace are found in Jesus. Nowhere else. Give him your heart today if you haven't. There's never a place that I feel more loved or more secure, more peaceful. This is what God is saying to his priests. Listen, take to heart these things and there'll be life and peace. So he goes on and he details this and he continues on. And I want us to, to see a few things. A leader God uses. Number one, a leader that God uses is a leader of reference, reverence. Look at verse five again when he says there, he says, my covenant with him, uh, says the host, my covenant with him was one of life and peace I gave to him. It is a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. This is a picture of just an awe of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not a fear of trembling, though sometimes I tremble. But it's a fear of the majesty, of his glory, of who he is. It's an awe. It's a reverence. And what happens when a leader who fears and awes God, this is a leader that God can use for his plans and purposes. This is the person God can use, is the person who has an awe and a fear of him. Don't you ever underestimate the power of the fear of the Lord. I was thinking about David and Goliath. Remember David and Goliath, you know? What separated David from the rest of the Israelites for the most part? What was it? Fear of the Lord. It was a fear of the Lord. You, you might find a couple other things, but the very root was a fear of the Lord. When he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he shall insult the armies of the living God? And everybody else was hiding. They forgot who they were. He approaches Goliath. Goliath says, who is this with sticks? <laughs> Am I a dog? <laughs> I love that. 
And David's response blows my heart out every time. You come to me with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Fear the Lord. Dear people of God, there's nothing we should fear but him. We can stand in awe of the Grand Canyon. We can stand in awe of great wonders in our world, but they do not compare to the glory of our God. It's him, a leader who has reverence. Secondly, a, God, a leader that God uses, a leader who loves truth, true instructions, what it says there, verse six in the first part of verse, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his, on his lips. Notice what he says, true instruction, what is that? It's literally a love for God's word. It's a love for God's truth. A reverence for the Lord is a reverence for his word. You don't separate those. We live in a culture that is doing everything they can to separate those. But you can't separate them. You cannot be used of the Lord and not have a reverence for his word. So many are saying, hey, just give me Jesus setting the scriptures aside. They're saying, hey, it's an outdated book. Well, that might be right if you or I wrote it. It wasn't like a journalist writing an article about something. These were people that God moved within him by his spirit, guiding them that we might have within our hands the word of God and the truth of God. It's not outdated because he's from everlasting to everlasting, the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is nothing that surprises him, so I don't think he would have a problem writing a book for us. Without the word of God, you would not know what God has revealed about himself. Jesus loved the word. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John chapter 17. We don't worship the Bible, but we worship the one that the Bible reveals. Ignorance of the scripture is ignorance of, of Jesus. It's ignorance of God. We cannot separate those. We cannot be satisfied with the people who are illiterate of the scriptures. We have to know the word because apart from it, apart from the scriptures, we would not know Christ. God honors those who, who love true instruction and love his word. Lord, the leader God uses is a leader of character in 6b. He says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. That word uprightness means holiness or godliness. Here's the reality. When it says turn many from iniquity, character impacts others. Character impacts others. If time would tell, I would tell you about Paul Miller when I started going to church and was starting to get on fire and this godly man shared with me about prayer. Or I would tell you about Brother Presley that I don't know that I was ever with him that he didn't share the gospel or tell me about someone he was sharing the gospel with. Or could I speak of Nancy Berlin? I think every time she knew my background, she knew a lot about me. She never let me pass her without telling me that God loves me and she loved me too. People of God with great character who walked with him in their own brokenness and sincerity. And nothing more beautiful, more powerful than someone led by the Lord, authentically broken before the Lord, trying to walk in humility, never perfect, but always looking to the one who is perfect. You see, reverence of the Lord leads to 
to the holding and to the texture of the truth of God's word, which leads to true character. It goes right down here. It's a leader, if you reverence, have reverence for God, you're gonna be a person who loves the truth. If you're a person who loves the truth, you're gonna have reverence for God. But if you're a person who loves the truth, you're gonna be a person of character. You can't change it. And then a leader God uses is a leader who guards knowledge. In verse seven, he says, for the lips of the priest shall guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, a leader who values and who preserves it at all costs. I don't get, I don't get leaders today who are casting doubt on the word of God. I don't get it. Who try to explain the word of God to line up with their knowledge and their understanding instead of changing their understanding and their knowledge and lining it up with God's knowledge and God's truth. I don't understand it. God loves those who love the truth and who love true instruction because without it, lives are ruined. Authentic ministry always comes down to the heart and God always blesses an authentic heart but also the corrupt heart. Verses eight and nine will always suffer consequences. If you will, look at verses eight and nine. It says, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. God will deal with his leaders. He will deal with his people. But the thing that really stuck me out was in verse eight, you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. False instruction ruins lives. This is the reason why when you look in the New Testament and you see all the passages and where the writers of the New Testament often are dealing with, with false teaching and they're trying to correct false teaching. They're trying to lead people back because because the reality is there's an aspect of our salvation. If we don't understand, we're going to be misled. It's why we need to know the, the scriptures. It's why we need to read it and incorporate it into our lives. We, otherwise, false teaching will lead people away from the Lord and set their affections on other things. Instead of a humility before God, they will lift themselves up in opposition to God, even claiming they know God better. We need to learn to focus on him, on his truth and his ways. Um, man, this has been a sobering study for me. So I ask you, pray for your elders. Pray for them. Pray for those who are teaching God's word. Pray for them. Pray for those teaching men's and women's Bible studies, those that are teaching our children, those that are teaching our students in Awanas, in the Institute, in our discipleship. Pray for them that they will give true instruction to preserve us in God's name and his honor and his truth, keeping us from wandering away but growing closer to him. Dear people of God, please pray for one another. Pray that God would guard NBC and that we would continue to be a church 
that upholds and guards the word of God, that we may run this race to the glory of the Father, to the glory of our God. To him be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, um, I just pray this morning that as, as these words were spoken, that, Lord, there's such a solemnness, there's such a, a moment for us just to stop and to look at our own hearts. I know, Father, that, <clears throat> that you know how to work your spirit, move them in our lives. And I just pray, Father, there's some this morning that probably need to be encouraged, and I pray, God, they would be encouraged knowing who we are in Christ Jesus as your own people, that, Father, you are at work, you are accomplishing. Father, there's some that maybe they've begun to drift. And, Father, they just need, they need to be looking at their hearts, they need to be vigilant in their hearts. For, Father, from it, the springs of life flow. That we would, Father, sow into our lives, we would sow truth in the Spirit, that we might have life and peace. So, Father, be pleased to do as you will with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.